The Summer Book by Tove Jansen. The chapter is Moonlight. One time in April, there was a full moon, and the sea was covered with ice. Sophia woke up and remembered that they had come back to the island and that she had a bed to herself because her mother was dead. The fire was still burning in the stove, and the flames flickered on the ceiling where the boots were hung up to dry. She climbed down to the floor, which was very cold, and looked out through the window. The ice was black, and in the middle of the ice she saw the open stove door and the fire. In fact, she saw two stove doors very close together. In the second window, the two fires were burning underground, and through the third window she saw a double reflection of the whole room, trunks and chests and boxes with gaping lids. They were filled with moss and snow and dry grass, all of them open with bottoms of coal-black shadow. She saw two children out on the rock, and there was a rowan tree growing right through them. The sky behind them was dark blue. She lay down in her bed and looked at the fire dancing on the ceiling, and all the time the island seemed to be coming closer and closer to the house. They were sleeping by a meadow near the shore, with patches of snow on the covers, and under them the ice darkened and began to glide. A channel opened very slowly in the floor, and all their luggage floated out in the river of moonlight. All the suitcases were open and full of darkness and moss, and none of them ever came back. Sophia reached out her hand and pulled her grandmother's braid very gently. Grandmother woke up instantly. Listen, Sophia whispered. I saw two fires in the window. Why are there two fires instead of one? Her grandmother thought for a moment and said, It's because we have double windows. After a while, Sophia asked, Are you sure the door is closed? It's open, her grandmother said. It's always open. You can sleep quite easy. Sophia rolled up in the quilt. She let the whole island float out on the ice and onto the horizon. Just before she fell asleep, her father got up and put more wood in the stove. The Summer Book by Tove Jansen The Scolder One morning before dawn, it got very cold in the guest room. Grandmother dragged the rag rug up on the bed and pulled some raincoats down from the wall, but they didn't help much. She supposed it was due to the bog. It's a funny thing about bogs. You can fill them with rocks and sand and old logs and make a little fenced-in yard on top with a wood pile and a chopping block, but bogs go right on behaving like bogs. Early in the spring, they breathe ice and make their own mist in remembrance of the time when they had black water and their own sedge blossoming untouched. Grandmother looked at the oil stove, which had gone out, and at the clock 
which said three. Then she got out of bed and put on her clothes, took her walking stick, and hobbled down the stone steps. It was a dead calm night, and she wanted to listen to the long-tailed ducks. It was not only the woodyard, the whole island was covered with fog, and there was that special early May silence near the sea. The branches of the trees dripped water, clearly audible in the silence. Nothing was growing yet, and there were patches of snow in sheltered places, but the landscape was brimming with expectation. She heard the cry of the long-tailed ducks. They are called scolders because their cry is a steady, chiding chatter farther and farther away, farther and farther out. People rarely see them. They are as secretive as corn crakes. But a corn crake hides in a meadow all alone, while the long tails are out beyond the farthest islands in enormous wedding flocks, singing all through the spring night. Grandmother walked up over the bare granite and thought about birds in general. It seemed to her no other creature had the same dramatic capacity to underline and perfect events. The shifts in the seasons and the weather, the changes that run through people themselves. She thought about migratory birds and the thrush on a summer evening and the cuckoo, yes, the cuckoo, and the great cold birds that sail and watch and the very small birds that sweep in for hasty visits in large late summer parties, chubby, dumb, and unafraid, and about the swallows that only honor houses where the people are happy. It seemed remarkable that the impersonal birds should have become such powerful symbols. Or maybe not. Her grandmother, Long-tailed ducks meant anticipation and renewal. She walked carefully across the rock on her stiff legs, and when she came to the little cottage, she knocked on the window. Sophia woke up at once and came outside. I'm going to go listen to the long tails, grandmother said. Sophia got dressed, and they walked on together. On the east side of the island, there were small borders of ice around the rocks. No one had had time to gather driftwood yet, and the whole shore was a tangle, a broad bulging mass of tumbled planks and seaweed and reeds, along with posts and fragile wooden boxes that had turned inside out around their steel frames. And on top of everything lay an enormous heavy log that was black with oil spill. Small pieces of bark and the splinters of old storms rocked in the water beyond the rim of ice, drawn slowly out and in again by a feeble swell. It was very close to sunrise, and the fog out over the sea was already suffused with light. The long-tailed ducks kept up their steady call distant and melodious. They're, they're breeding, Sophia said. The sun came up, the fog glowed for an instant, and then simply vanished. Out on a flat rock in the water lay a scolder. It was wet and dead 
and looked like a wrung-out plastic bag. Sophia declared that it was an old crow, but Grandmother didn't believe her. But it's spring, Sophia said. They don't die now. They're brand new and, and just married. That's what you said. Well, Grandmother said, it did die now, all the same. How did it die? Sophia yelled. She was very angry. Of unrequited love, her grandmother explained. He sang and scolded all night for his scolder hen, and then along came another and stole her away, so he put his head under the water and floated away. That's not true, Sophia screamed. She started to cry. Longtails can't drown. Tell it right. So Grandmother told her he had simply hit his head on a rock. He was singing and scolding so hard that he didn't look where he was going, and so it just happened, right when he was happier than he'd ever been before. That's better, Sophia said. Shall we bury him? It's not necessary, Grandmother said. The tide will come in and he'll bury himself. Seabirds are supposed to be buried at sea like sailors. They walked on and talked about burial at sea, and the long tails sang in dyads and triads farther and farther away. The neck of land out toward the point was completely transformed by the winter storms. There had never been anything but rocks out there, but now the whole shore was sand. We ought to save it, Grandmother said, poking the sand with her stick. If the sea rises and we get a north wind, all of it will wash back out again. She stretched out full length on a bed of whitened reeds and looked at the sky. Sophia lay down beside her. It was growing warmer all the time. And after a while, they heard the curiously chilly, somehow veiled sound of migratory birds in flight and watched a whole flock fly in over the island toward the northeast. "'What'll we do now?' Sophia said. Grandmother suggested that Sophia walk around the point and see what had drifted ashore. "'Are you sure you won't be bored?' Sophia asked. "'Absolutely sure,' Grandmother said. The Summer Book by Tove Jansen The Scolder, Part 2 Grandmother turned on her side and put her arm over her head. Between the arm of her sweater, her hat, and the white reeds, she could see a triangle of sky, sea, and sand. Quite a small triangle. There was a blade of grass in the sand beside her, and between its saw-toothed leaves it held a piece of seabird down. She carefully observed the construction of this piece of down, the taut white rib in the middle surrounded by the down itself which was pale brown and lighter than the air and then darker and shiny toward the tip which ended in a tiny but spirited curve the down moved in a draft of air too slight for her to feel she noted that the blade of grass and the down were at precisely the right distance for her eyes. She wondered if the down had caught on the grass now, in the spring, maybe during the night, or if it had been there all winter. 
She saw the conical depression in the sand at the foot of the blade of grass and the wisp of seaweed that had twined around the stem. Right next to it lay a piece of bark. If you looked at it for a long time, it grew and became a very ancient mountain. The upper side had craters and excavations that looked like whirlpools. The scrap of bark was beautiful and dramatic. It rested above its shadow on a single point of contact, and the grains of sand were coarse, clean, almost gray in the morning light, and the sky was completely clear, as was the sea. Sophia came back running. I found a floor grate, she hollered. It's big. It's from a ship. It's as long as a boat. You don't say, her grandmother said. It was important for her not to stand up too quickly, so she had time to watch the blade of grass just as the down left its hold and was borne away in a light morning breeze. It was carried out of her field of vision, and when she got on her feet, the landscape had grown smaller. I saw a feather, she said, a piece of scolder down. What scolder? Sophia said for she had forgotten the bird that died of love. The Summer Book by Tove Jansen The Pasture Sophia asked her grandmother what heaven looked like, and grandmother said it might be like the pasture they were just then walking by on their way to the village. They stopped to look. It was very hot. The road was white and cracked, and all the plants along the ditch had dust on their leaves. They walked into the pasture and sat down in the grass, which was tall and not a bit dusty. It was full of bluebells and cat's foot and buttercups. Are there ants in heaven? Sophia asked. No, said grandmother, and lay down carefully on her back. She propped her hat on her nose and tried to sneak a little sleep. Some kind of farm machinery was running steadily and peacefully in the distance. If you turned it off, which was easy to do, and listened only to the insects, you could hear thousands of millions of them, and they filled the whole world with rising and falling waves of ecstasy and summer. Sophia picked some flowers and held them in her hand until they got warm and unpleasant. Then she put them down on her grandmother and asked how God could keep track of all the people who prayed at the same time. He's very, very smart, grandmother mumbled sleepily under her hat. Answer really, Sophia said. How does he have time? He has secretaries. But how does he manage to do what you pray for if he doesn't get time to talk to the secretary before it's too late? Grandmother pretended to be asleep, but she knew she wasn't fooling anyone. And so finally she said that he'd made it so nothing bad could happen between the moment you prayed and the moment he found out what you prayed for. 
And then Sophia wanted to know what happened if you prayed while you were falling out of a tree and you were halfway down. Aha, said Grandmother, perking up. In that case, he makes you catch on a limb. That is smart, Sophia admitted. Now you get to ask, but it has to be about heaven. Do you think all the angels wear dresses so no one can tell what kind they are? What a dumb question. You know they all wear dresses. But now listen carefully. If one of them wants to know for sure what kind another one is, he just flies under him and looks to see if he's wearing pants. I see, Grandmother said. That's good to know. Now it's your turn. Can angels fly down to hell? Of course. They might have all sorts of friends and neighbors down there. Ah, now I've got you, Sophia cried. Yesterday you said there wasn't any hell. Grandmother was annoyed and sat up angrily. And I say exactly the same thing today, she said. But this is just a game. It's not a game. It's serious when you're talking about God. Now, oh, he would never do anything so dumb as make a hell. Well, of course he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. A big, enormous hell. Because she was mad, Grandmother stood up much too quickly, and the whole pasture started spinning around, and she almost lost her balance. She waited for the giddiness to stop. Sophia, she said, this is really not something to argue about. You can see for yourself that life is hard enough without being punished for it afterwards. We get comfort when we die. But that's the whole idea. It's not that hard at all, Sophia shouted. And what are you going to do about the devil then? He lives in hell. For a moment, Grandmother considered saying that there was no devil either, but she didn't want to be mean. The farm machinery was making a terrible racket. She walked back toward the road and stepped right in a cow pie. Her grandchild was not behind her. Sophia, called Grandmother warningly, I said you could have an orange when we got to the store. An orange, said Sophia contemptuously. Do you think people care about oranges when they're talking about God and the devil? Grandmother poked the cow dung off her shoe with her walking stick as well as she could. My dear child, she said, with the best will in the world, I cannot start believing in the devil at my age. You can believe what you like, but you must learn to be tolerant. What does that mean? asked the child sullenly. That means respecting other people's convictions. What are convictions? Sophia screamed and stamped her foot. Letting others believe what they want to believe, her grandmother shouted back. I'll let you believe God damns people and you let me not. You swore, Sophia whispered. I certainly did not. You did too. You said, God damns. They were no longer looking at each other. Three cows came down the road, switching their tails and swaying their heads. 
They passed slowly by in a swarm of flies and walked on toward the village, with the skin on their rear ends puckering and twitching as they went. Then they were gone, leaving nothing but silence. Finally, Sophia's grandmother said, I know a song you don't know. She waited for a minute, and then she sang, way off key, because her vocal cords were crooked. Cow pies are free, tra-la-la, but don't throw them at me, tra-la-la, for you two could get hit, tra-la-la, with cow shit. What did you say? Sophia whispered because she couldn't believe her ears. And Grandmother sang the same really awful song again. Sophia climbed over the ditch and started toward the village. Papa would never say shit, she said over her shoulder. Where did you learn that song? I'm not telling, the grandmother said. They came to the barn and climbed the stile and walked through the Nybonda's barnyard. And before they got to the store under the trees, Sophia had learned the song and could sing it just as badly as her grandmother did. The Summer Book by Tove Jansen The Road It was a bulldozer, an enormous, infernal, bright yellow machine that thundered and roared and floundered through the woods with clanging jaws. The men from the village scrambled on and around it like hysterical ants, trying to keep it headed in the right direction. Jesus Christ! Sophia shrieked without hearing what she said. She ran behind a rock with the milk can in one hand and watched the machine pluck up huge boulders that had lain in their moss for a thousand years. But now they just rose in the air and were tossed to one side and... There was a terrible cracking and splintering as pine trees gave way and were ripped from the ground with torn and broken roots. Jesus, help! There go the woods! Sophia was trampling down the moss and shaking from head to foot in dread and rapture. There went a bird cherry tree without a sound. It sank like a sigh and up came shiny black earth and the bulldozer took a new hold and bellowed on. The men shouted to each other nervously, which was no wonder since they were renting the machine and it would cost them over a hundred marks an hour, including the trip from town and back. The machine was headed for the water, that was clear. It paid no attention to the path, but pushed right on as straight as a herd of lemmings, for it was building a road to the sea. It wouldn't be any fun to be an ant now, Sophia thought. A machine can do anything it wants. She went and collected the milk and the mail and walked back again, not on the path, but on the broad, unprecedented road, which was suddenly very quiet. It was bordered on both sides by a sprawling chaos, as if huge hands had pressed back the forest, bent it, and folded it like some soft grass that would never rise up again. The splintered white trunks of the trees were running with pitch, and farther from the road there was an immovable green mass. Not a single branch and not one leaf was free to move in the wind, it was like 
walking between stone walls. The stones were drying, and the soil that clung to them was turning gray. There were large gray patches on the new road, too. Severed roots stuck up everywhere. In places, they formed a thin lacework filled with tiny clumps of earth that trembled on invisible wires as they dried in the sun. It was an altered landscape, breathless, like the silence after an explosion or a scream. And Sophia studied everything as she walked on down the new road, which seemed much longer than the old. The woods were silent. When she got down to the bay, she saw the bulldozer outlined against the water in all of its shapeless bulk. It had pushed its way down to the meadow by the beach and had then slid sideways into a hollow and kicked up a lot of sand. The grassy bank had given way, softly and treacherously, quite inexplicably, and the forest-eating monster lay there in silence at an unnatural angle, a picture of thwarted force. Beside the machine sat Emil Ergstrom, smoking a cigarette. Where did everyone go? Sophia asked. They went back to get some equipment, Emil said. What equipment? Sophia said. And Emil said, as if you knew anything about machines. Sophia walked on across the meadow through the strong green mat of grass that storms can't kill. It only settles a bit and goes right on weaving its tight little roots. Grandmother was waiting by the boat out on the point. What a machine, Sophia thought. She'll be so surprised. It's like when God smote Gomorrah. It'll be a lot of fun to ride instead of walk. <laughs>